NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Talk To Me here on NotFest.com. As always, I am Joshua Toomey, joined by the one, the only, Chris Aiken. Chris, how are we doing? Awesome, man. How are you, man? I'm always great, always great, and always great to talk to Alicia Taylor of the Cherry Bombs. And uh, make sure to check her out and her touring group, Cherry Bombs, as they do Macabre. Uh, make sure to check local listings for that. And uh, they're doing Aftershocks, and uh, they're doing Louder Than Life, and doing a lot of the festivals and stuff this summer. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see them out and about. Now, what do they do when they do these kind of opening slots for the for the metal festivals? Is it the full show or is it some kind of like a cut down show or what is it? I think what they do when they do the the festival shows, I think it's more of a kind of like a greatest hits package of, uh, you know, they get out there and they do the fire, they do the rings, they do the silks. And uh, when they did not fest L.A., they, you know, she was able to rig up a 50 foot high in the air you know, contraption for the ladies to, uh, to, to do their, uh, acrobatics on and things like that, the Cirque okay. du Soleil of it and all. So, so yeah, uh, we get into it in the interview a little bit, you know, when she goes into a club, she does one show. When she goes into an, uh, an arena, they do another show. They basically just take the stage that they're given and, uh, and create the show that they want to, they want to give. But Macabre Ray is actually a, kind of like a heavy metal ballet if you want to for for okay. lesser terms but th- because from start to finish this has a storyline um you know there's there's actual you know kind of a play going on with it and everything else going on around it now do you think people follow along to the story when they're you know drunk at a show <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean you would hope so uh you know we we talk a little bit about you know obviously her her connections with Corey taylor they're going to gr- draw a a, a, a slipknot crowd along with a normal um, you know dance crowd too or dancers it's not burlesque we talk about that in the interview but it's kind of what i keep going back to uh kind of that burlesque dancer crowd so you kind of get the mix together and she says it's, it's fun when they would open for bands and they would come out and people would just think that cherry bombs on the bill is just another band then they right. walk out doing the fire and the and the and the, and the uh you know dancing and things like that and it, they're like, what the hell is this? And then win them over. So, so I think nice. that, uh, that, yeah, the, so they just kind of do the, uh, the, do the show for everybody. Now they're just doing it on the, she's just appearing on the, the not fest stuff, or is she doing this, the whole slipknot tour or what is she, what is she doing? Uh, as of right now, she's not doing the whole slipknot tour. Um, this macabre, she did, uh, four dates over the last weekend. Uh, she was getting ready for it as we recorded, but they did a, a small club tour headlining and then they're going to take it to like louder than life and aftershocks and things like that. Well, send her a text and tell her that she needs to bring it out at least to the Slipknot Cleveland show. So I can see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I watched a lot of the videos online, man. It's, it's crazy to see, to see what they're doing. Um, what I think is kind of cool about it is, is they're, they're dancing to, you know, metal music. I mean, when you go out and you see girls dancing to metal music, I mean, that's always a plus. 
Yeah, that's definitely hot. <laughs> no flames, but still hot, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so great interview with her. We got about thirty-five minutes in, and we talked. Uh, you know, talked some Corey Taylor. We talked some Griff Taylor. Uh, talked to her going out with Slipknot and doing so much other stuff. So yeah, fun interview with uh, Alicia Taylor. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Alicia Taylor, yeah, uh, Slipknot's Corey Taylor uh, says Joey Jordanson's death broke my heart. Really. Which, uh, you know, um, you know, reading the story, it's obviously, you know, it's a, uh, that's a pretty obvious headline, I guess is what I'm yeah. saying. You know, I, I mean, he's in a bad, and, and admittedly, it's been a couple of months that have passed, but he's in a bad spot really. Cause you know, it's not a secret that they had a falling out, but you know, you never really saw, at least I never did. I never really saw too much like bad mouthing or anything. I just kind of saw that we needed to make a change and they made a change. I, it always, maybe I'm wrong on this. I could very well be, but it always seemed like they kind of, you know, cared that that dude was struggling to get his life together. But yeah, you, you know, I mean, sometimes business, I hate to be that guy, but sometimes the business outweighs the friendship. And it seems like that might've been one of the things in there in their case that the business of slipknot, especially as big as it's become yeah. the business of slipknot outweighed the, yo, bro, we're going to tough it out. We're going to get you through this and we're going to make it to, you know, that, that type of a thing. So it's tough. I, I mean, dude, you, you know, as well as I do that, that death, I think for this, this era is probably as big as like, like uh dime bag would have been for right. guys that are like 10 years older you know yeah that was, was the a, that was the crazy part with joey passing was how many people posted online that you know joey was the reason reason i started playing drums or right you know joey this joey that or joey you know made blast beats on the radio and and, mm-hmm. and broke through an extreme style of music that uh, turned a lot of people on. And, you know, maybe they weren't huge Slipknot fans today, but they, that's what got them into death metal was, was kind of the trajectory of Slipknot into something heavier, into something heavier. Sure. No, I, I mean, I, I would never take that, that away from him. He is an amazing drummer and, you know, I don't know if you ever got to meet Joey or not, but he, um, really funny guy. If you actually got to spend a little time with him, he's really quite funny. And, um, you know, that, that whole dark thing was just kind of more or less kind of an act. Cause you know, the few times that I ran into him, he was always fun. He was always yeah, fun everybody, and funny and, you know, everybody had great things to say about him. Um, Corey Taylor was asked at the mad monster party. It was a Q and a, Mm-hmm. Uh, a three-day fan convention, which took place at the Embassy Suites in Concord, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, asked how he has dealt with the loss of his longtime bandmate. Corey said, that's a tough one. It hit me hard, even though I hadn't seen him or talked to him in a very long time. And I won't get into certain things, but I will say it really hit all of us hard. The person I called first was Clown to make sure he was okay. Because those guys... I can remember going down and seeing both of them at the gas station that Joey worked at like way back in the day. Right. And he would work the overnights when I wasn't working at the porn shop, I would go down and they were always scheming. They would always sit together scheming. It's like, I've got this fucking idea. All right, we're going to set our faces on fire. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, you're really not going to do that. Uh, you know, so yeah, he just kind of goes on to talk about how, 
I think when he passes, you know, you 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 don't think about the breakup of the of him leaving the band. You go back to the early days, sure, to the to the times kind of before all of the nonsense. Because I've been in bands with dudes that, you know, had issues, had drug problems, had drinking problems, and whatnot. And even though you know you can't be in a band with those guys, and I'm not speaking for Slipknot or not Fest or anything saying this, but I'm I, mm-hmm. in saying that this was the case with Joey. I'm saying this was the case with me. But you know you can't be in a band with a guy that has a drinking problem or a drug problem because you know the day-to-day is just not going to get done. But that doesn't mean you don't care for them as sure. a human being and as a friend. Sure. And and there's the other piece to that, too, is this is the guy that you found your fortune with. This is the guy that you found your livelihood with, your success. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest. 20 years ago or however many years it was when Slipknot formed, 25 years ago, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people that were running around saying, you know what, these guys with the masks and the silly jumpsuits, that's going to be, they're going to be the next kiss. You know, there there was nobody saying that there was a lot of people like being like, man, this sounds weird. looks weirder. This shit's going to fail, you know? And they took that, which was Joey. If I know the slipknot history, right. A lot of that was Joey. Yeah. And they blew it up into something that nobody could have pictured and found their their livelihood, their wealth, their riches, their fame based on the back of that. So you lose one of those guys and it, boy, it really makes you reflect on every minute of your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what's crazy about that is, is obviously when Slipknot hit, I mean, that's the wheelhouse of my being in bands and, and you would have definitely never looked back then and thought, like you said, that Kiss, that they would be the, our Kiss or they would be our Metallica or whatever, that they're the biggest thing out there. And they're selling out arenas and headlining festivals and, you know, having not fest and, you know, having a media company and, you know, everything, everything that was going on back then, because they were just so extreme and so crazy mm-hmm. that uh, that you can't believe that the mainstream kind of came to them. Dude. When they came out, I mean, I, I still remember when I listened to the record because it was at the chastising of, um, I believe, Monty Connor. Monty, <laughs> I, you know, they sent, I, I was in, um, I had my own little music magazine at the time that they broke out. And um, they would send me everything from Roadrunner. And, you know, that was awesome to me was to get everything from Roadrunner. And, oh, yeah. um, you know but I, I was old school at, or what at the time was current, but is now old school. I was all into soul fly, um, typo negative life of agony, right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, those, those bands that they were putting out Se- Sepultura, you know, that was what I was listening to. Then I get this record and I looked at it and I was like, Oh, hell no, I'm not listening <laughs> to this shit. You know, I just was like, hell no, I'm not listening to this. These guys look stupid. And I literally threw it down for about a month. And then I got a call and somebody asked me, Hey, did you listen to this record? And I was like, no. And they're like, just listen to it. Don't look at it. Just listen to it. And then I listened to it and was like, Whoa, this is like, (laughs) this is so, you know, so different. And the, the funny thing is everybody was trying to work them into the, I don't know if you remember this or not, but the, a lot of times in the early days, everybody compared them to Fear Factory because that was the closest people could come right. to finding something that matched what they did. So people kept saying, us, oh, it's, it's like Fear Factory, but but heavier, faster, and whatever. And I was like, this is nothing like Fear Factory. But, you know, it, it really was something that you got to give Roadrunner themselves credit for 
they took a huge risk on these guys and spent a lot of money on them to, to break them out early. And that wasn't going on back in what what was that? 99 or 98 or whatever. You know, it wasn't going on like that back then. Back then was kind of the early years of you got one shot. And if you don't hit in two months, you're out of here. And they took the time. Oh yeah. I mean, I was definitely doing the new metal stuff and, and blast beats and double bass and all that stuff is on there. And so it's like, it's like the new metal stuff combined with like the old thrash stuff that I loved. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it definitely, uh, you know, hit me right away. As soon as I, as soon as I heard them, I got into them. We, and then we went to see them open for um cold chamber and machine head. And, you know, they're, they're all nine of them on the very front of the stage because machine head and cold chamber have backlined their gear. So right. like Slipknot is just, you know, cramped up on the stage and, uh, yeah, we were blown away and it was crazy because sold out show for Slipknot and then, you know, machine head goes on or cold chamber goes on whoever was second or the next and like half the crowd left. And then like half of that crowd left. And by the time the headliner went on, man, it was like a ghost town in there. I mean, Slipknot, <laughs> Slipknot had a, had a very crazy underground following right out the gate. Oh yeah. Well, dude, what's crazy was being here in Cleveland. You know, those first couple of shows were brutal for Slipknot <laughs> because you know, all the mushroom head people were just out. And I can remember very distinctly being at shows and people throwing batteries and, and ice and stuff at Corey Taylor and Corey Taylor's like, fuck you, bring it on. <laughs> right. You know, he was like, come on, is that all you guys got? I thought Cleveland was a tough fucking town. Yeah. I mean, he would just go at people <laughs> and, and they won the town over. And I mean, winning this town over, over mushroom head, that's a big, uh, that's a big get. Yeah. And I know that that war fizzled out, you know, fairly quickly once they all, I think they all toured together or something. And that ended that, but you know, it, it, it was a big deal that they came through. They, they came into Cleveland those first couple of times with a lot of hate on them and they won a lot of people <laughs> through a lot of hate. It was, it was impressive to see. Yeah, definitely crazy. And, um, you know, obviously rest in peace, uh, Joey, as always, yeah. <laughs> we got to say that every time, but yeah, I mean, it's just gotta be tough on Corey and, and you have to take the music and the band out of it. You know, he lost a friend too. Sure. Well, you know, you know, the different interview, but the same, same sentiment. I saw an interview this week with Jerry Cantrell Yeah. and Cantrell made such a great point in the interview. He said, I get tired of talking about my dead friends. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it's very stressful to talk about your dead friends. And Corey's probably in the same boat right now, you know, it very much, you know, whether it's uh Paul gray or whether it's Joey yeah. and especially the last, what, when did Joey die? Six months ago, roughly. Like that. Yeah. So, you know, last six months, it's been a question in every interview he's done. So, you know, he's probably at that point too, where he's like, oh, I just want to move forward, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, last July. So yeah, about six, eight months. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, actually I just had, uh, just had, um, Kirk Winstein on and, you know, he w- brought up Dimebag and he says he thinks about Dimebag every show because every show someone is either wearing a Pantera shirt, asking him about Pantera, you know, like, sure. like he just, every show he plays, he, he thinks about Dimebag to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, certain guys, dude, it's never going to go away. And if you're associated with that, that crowd, that's part of your DNA. You know, I mean, crowbar really, really, when I think of crowbar, what's my first thought Pantera, 
because yeah. of the the what was it five minutes alone video where where Phil was wearing the shirt. That's what I that's when I learned that Crowbar was even a band, and right. you know was from seeing that shirt. And I mean they've always been associated with Pantera, and then down forms, and of course now all those guys are associated with Pantera. You know they're 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 all linked. Speaking of drummers, let's move on to uh, kind of the news of the day. As as yeah. you and I sat down to record about an hour or two ago, uh, Testament have announced the return of Dave Lombardo, um, original member of thrash metal legend Slayer. Lombardo was the guest drummer on Testament's 1999 studio album, The Gathering, which also marked the first time the band worked with then up-and-coming British producer-engineer Andy Sneap and Judas Priest guitarist. Uh, (laughs) The Gathering was widely considered to be an improvement over 1997's Demonic, an album that saw singer Chuck Billy employ a more guttural style of vocals and was released at a time when Thrash X as Testament had fallen out of favor. Right. Remember that... Well, I was just saying, I went back and listened to the gathering as we were getting ready for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. They say at a time when thrash X, such as Testament fallen out of favor. Like, I don't even know if I ever listened to the gathering until the really. And uh, yeah, but I, I love, 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 love low. I don't think I listened to demonic and I'm pretty sure I didn't listen to the gathering. Oh, I love the gathering. I'll be, I love the demonic too. I mean, they, demonics, their attempt to be a death metal band. And it, I loved it personally, you know, cause he took basically Chuck took those parts that he did. Like he interspersed it on low yeah. when he would do the, you know, the real yeah. low stuff. And they just did a whole album of that. Right. And I get it. They were trying to fit in with the, you know, to play the tours with like, six feet under and bands like that, that were right. getting, getting that underground swell. And it made sense, but fans hated it. I remember all my friends that were Testament fans were just like, this is shit. You know, <laughs> they, they all hated, hated demonic. And then the gathering came back and, and it's, it's just great. It's riding the snake and down for life. I mean, these are great songs. Uh, Sun shut eyes. Those are fucking amazing songs, man. I love that album. So good. It's so crazy hitting play on that album today. And just, you just know it's Dave. Like it's so hard. I think for drummers to, to, to have a style enough to where if you hear me like, Oh yeah, that's, that's Dave Lombardo. Dude, just think about this for a second. They, they went and traded out from Gene Hoagland without (laughs) going down. Right. That's amazing. I don't care who you get. That's pretty amazing to go from Gene Hoagland and at least stay level. That's that's something. Now, now I don't want to rub people the wrong way with this statement. All right. But Dave Lombardo is original member of Slayer. Mm-hmm. Is Testament a step down for him? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That being said, musically, Testament's a better band, but... If you look at the whole history of it, Testament doesn't exist without Slayer. Right. That's just, you know, that's just a fact. So is it a step down? Yeah, it, it is. But, you know. And I loved, I love Testament. Like those last three albums they've put out have been some of the best stuff. Saw them with Slayer a couple of years ago. Always great. Gene Hoagland's been on the podcast, I think, five or six times now. Sure. Like, so, I mean, I've, I've been definitely in the Testament camp. It's just, I was trying to, trying to put a put a, a different spin on it and I'm I'm like you know it, that would be like head from corn 
joining Cold Chamber or something. Like, I'm trying to think of like the right. The, the, there's the band, and then there's the band they spawned. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It, it's. Is it a step down? Yes, but in today's environment, it's a step. I mean, Slayer's gig done. Is a gig. <laughs> yeah, Slayer's not in business, and he wasn't in their business anyway. Right. So you know, it's a step up from whatever he's been doing. From like Mr. Bungle. Yeah. I'll say that, although I love Mr. Bungle too, but it's a step up from, from Mr. Bungle. Isn't that his last gig? It's Mr. Bungle. Uh, suicidal tendencies. To step up from that. Yeah. He's definitely a step up from that. I mean, you know, it's, it, I think it's just the, the band, like the Mr. Bungle is like more of a, a, a side project, fun gig, you know, and even mm-hmm. suicidal is still legendary, but they're obviously not Slayer. But like, yeah. I, I I just think it's Slayer and Testament. It's like just the just the one in the in the one A kind of kind of thing. Yeah, I think it, it it's real close because yeah. uh, you know a lot of people they put Testament in that in that five or six slot. You know, if right. you know you have the big four, and then when you start naming the others, the the next real close bands are true are obviously Testament and Exodus. And then it starts to fall from there. Then you get, I don't know, Death Angel. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, I mean, the few times we've had that argument on the podcast, it's like, you know, if you took a band out of the big four, who would it be? And who would you put in? And I always always take out Anthrax and put in Testament. So maybe it's not as big a step down as I think it is. It's not a huge step down. I mean, Testament's. I would I would argue that album for album, career for career, that Testament has a much more solid career. Yeah. I mean, they really only have one, one kind of weak album. The one, what is that one called? Um, the crown, something crown, you know, the, the one, the one that came after souls of black, something crown that was just like their radio attempt, their attempt (laughs) to to do radio songs. And it just wasn't very good, you know, but, um, other than that, their career is very, very strong. So I don't know. I it, it's a step down, but it's not like a it's not like a full flight of stairs. I'll put it that way. It's literally one step. Uh, after Souls of Black is the ritual. The ritual. And it has the song Electric Crown. I'm there I'm a go. little I'm a little slow. <laughs> there here. you go. There we go. I know that's something to do with a damn crown. <laughs> Testament is not the easiest band to quickly uh, Google. It's like no. You were the Old Testament or the New Testament? Yeah. <laughs> it's a half hour biblical references before you get to Chuck Billy. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Chuck Billy, he says, uh, Chuck Billy comments, I'll state the obvious. We are more than overwhelmed to welcome back Dave Lombardo to play drums with Testament. We are so excited to share the stage again with Lombardo. Dave added immense power when he joined for the band or joined the band for the gathering. And we are ecstatic to see what new flavor he will bring back to Testament. I'm excited to hear it too. Now, who played on the record is the real question. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Hoagland played on this new album. Okay. So we won't get to hear that for two more years or so, but and, I'm excited uh, about it. Lombardo states, this is a long awaited reunion that was bound to happen. <laughs> Once upon a time, we created a thrash masterpiece. I have no doubt that our musical chemistry will pick up exactly where we left off. I love te- the I love the Testament family and am very excited to be joining them once again. Pure brutality awaits. Now I'm going to have to go buy my tickets again. 
<laughs> God damn it! I, and I then uh, those tickets, the the Cleveland shows here for the 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 whatever it's called, the Bay Area Strikes Back yeah. tour. Because I didn't know when they were going to reschedule, but now that Lombardo's in, it's like I think I better go to that. <laughs> and uh, lastly, Eric Peterson says, having Dave Lombardo join us again feels like we are picking up where unfinished business had left off. There was a silver lining to every cloud. And working again with Dave calls for us to celebrate with our horns held high. Wow. Sounds think, good to me. <laughs> do you think any of these people said those quotes? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I, just there's something about Lombardo's quote that just kind of throws me off because, I mean, I've interviewed Lombardo and, and he didn't seem to, to talk like this. Well, I, I interviewed Eric Peterson like a year ago and he wasn't talking about his metal horns being held high. <laughs> right. That's for damn sure. I just say this. Good work, Maria. Nice press release. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was thinking, I was like, who could they have in the band? And then they, they put out a press release that they were going to make an announcement for the drummer. And I'm like, well, it's got to be somebody huge. Yeah. And uh, I had posted on on Facebook about who who does everybody think it is. A couple of people said Lombardo. A couple of people thought Chris Adler. You know, I was wow. like, that would be that would have been a cool one, too. But, uh, you know, and just, just random stuff. Uh, Phil Dimmel actually chimed in and said Ricky Rocket. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ricky Rocket. <laughs> now that so, would have been big news. <laughs> that would have been huge news. I would love to. I would love to see Testament with Ricky Rocket. Ricky Rocket with his two-piece drum kit on stage. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, do you want to talk about some beer? Always. <laughs> well, the Not Fest Beer Pit is back. The latest installment includes collabs from Deftones and Municipal Waste, plus an IPA inspired by the legendary CBGB venue and a Cigar City Spotlight. Now, I played CBGBs, okay. and I went into CBGBs, and I this was 2004. I think it was like right before it closed. And that was the first time that I've ever paid, I think it was $4.75 for a 12-ounce can of Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> so... So I'm kind of wondering about this IPA inspired by the legendary CBGB venue. One of the best sounding clubs I've ever played. I will oh, sure. tell you that much. I'm, I'm going to venture a guess here. These beers are going to be better than that beer. <laughs> Probably. I'm thinking so. Well, hopefully. And uh, the uh, the box is curated for the aggressive music culture by the one, the only rock and roll beer guy himself, Eddie Torres, and will be delivered right to your door with additional gifts from the breweries, also, be sure to check out the Slayers box, All not right. the Britney Slayers box or the band Slayer, <laughs> no, but the Slayers box. All right. Uh, featuring European standouts only available through the NotFest beer pit. Order quantities of four or eight or, you know, I'm sure you could order 12 or 16 yeah. or 32, you know, just keep keep. Ordering over and over. How about that? Just burn a hole through your credit card on <laughs> beer. There we go. No subscription required. The NotFest Beer Pit, the most metal beer box. Get it. I got my Deftones shirt on, you know. So, so all I need right now is a Deftones beer to go with it. Right. Well, you can <laughs> you can have the Deftones. You can have the Deftones music. I'll take the beer. How's that? There we go. And uh, something else we could all take is my interview with Alicia Taylor of the Cherry Bombs coming right up. And uh, Chris and I will be right back with you. Well, everybody, let's welcome the wonderful Alicia Taylor to talk to me. Podcast here, notfest.com. Alicia, how are we doing today? 
Good, Josh. Thanks for having me. Macabre. There you've got, you go. <laughs> you've got Macabre coming up. So talk a little bit about Macabre. Macabre, which I love that, by you? the way. You got it. I mean, I've heard I've heard so many versions of that one. I'm people have butchered that one left and right. So do not feel bad. I was like, man, did I just throw them just a shit doozy? I mean, because it was I've heard macrame, I've heard <laughs> macabert, I've heard all kinds of different things. So good on you. If you're you doing right. macrame, I think I'd go see that too. Right. I mean, yeah, it's good. It's all just going to be a, uh, a performance on a wall. Right. There we go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, macabre. Macabre. I see you almost um, messed it up. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I took the word macabre and cabaret right. and I stuck them together. And that's that's why we have macabre um, is the title of this show that I've written. Um, it really is a production with a with a storyline that takes the audience through it from beginning to end. And it's kind of of a mishmash between From Dust Till Dawn meets Dante's Inferno if Rob Zombie and Quentin Tarantino were to come together and direct it, but set it all to rock and metal music with little to no dialogue whatsoever. Um, So that's a very fast synopsis of Macabre, our show. And it's really about a man who, you know, he's kind of this on the fringe, kind of seedy uh, type of character who is just blasting down the middle of a highway, nothing in sight in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And he flies by these hitchhikers, doesn't pick them up, nothing. And then his car ends up breaking down. And all he has to, to look for, for help is the saloon in the middle of nowhere. And so he goes into the saloon and the whole story is basically about him making his way through it. Does he get out alive or not? What kind of characters he comes across when he's in it? And, um, yeah, we find out if he survives it. The White Dog Saloon, that is. So how do you take a storyline like that and then interpret it with dance and theatrics and flips and fire and all that? How do you take yeah. that mentally and, and break it all down? Um, it's not too far-fetched from a ballet, really. I don't know if you've ever seen a ballet before, but, um, you know, we have like the Nutcracker right. um, or Swan Lake. And so... As a professional dancer, we know how to tell these stories without words. We do it through movement. We do it through choreography, costumes, and wardrobe. Um, We do it with lighting and um, bringing in different characters and just the interactions between them. So it's, it's very interpretive, but we're we've done it so much that we know how to do it in a way that conveys these emotions and what is happening on stage um to the audience so that they can follow along we also have a video aspect to our show which helps a little bit more um kind of tell the story as far as transitions go from one piece to the next um so yeah we just kind of utilize all that production and choreography to to help push the storyline along and and when you're getting something like this together, obviously you're going to different venues. You're going to just, you know this will be out actually after you do the the little uh, run this weekend. Yeah. But you know you're going to some pretty legendary venues that have certain sizes and dimensions. How do you work around that when it comes to walking into a club that you know has a stage this big, and then you go to a stage that big, and then that even goes back to you know you're not Fest LA you know, to where you had to fill up an entire stadium stage, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so when we do our pre-advancing before we head out on the road, I always try and get the stage dimensions. I try and figure out where the rigging points are going to be, what the heights are of those points are going to be before we even head out. And then that tells me 
where certain things are going to take place and go and how big I can make them or how small I need to take them down to. Um, so in regards to things like the aerial acts, you know, where those rig points in that venue are, there's nothing I can do about that. That's where they are. So I know I can't be flexible there. So sometimes they're out in the audience, which is kind of fun for us because then we can kind of make it immersive and we can have the audience kind of turn their attention from the stage to maybe behind them or to the side. And we can, we can play around with that a little bit more. Um, things like fire, we have to be cognizant of stage sizes and ceiling heights, um, maybe flammable materials that might be around us, or maybe sprinkler heads that we really don't want to set <laughs> off, you know, during our show. So, um, that I don't really know until I do a venue walkthrough, I get in, I can see it. And at that point in time, I let my team know, okay, here's, um, the light point where we're going to light things on fire. Here's the extinguishing point. And we do a whole tech walkthrough with fire every show we do so that we know that because it does change from venue to venue. Um, and then you have things like, like you mentioned at not fest LA where the sky is really the limit on right. the production and the size of it that we can do. So we could really bring out the big guns on that one um, with actual pyrotechnics, which we did. And, um, and that to me is a lot of fun because it's always a challenge to see how can we fill that entire stage as much as possible. Um, and so my aerialists are amazing. They're incredibly talented. They get to hang from 50 feet in the air. They're super happy about that. Um, you know, it freaks me out whenever they do right. it, but, but, it, but it's great and it's beautiful. And, and our apparatuses are these long, big, beautiful red silks. Um, so it's very dramatic and it's very death defying. And, and to me, that just makes everything so much more powerful and impactful. So, so let's go back a little bit with you, um, you know, get, being a dancer and, and getting into something like this. The one thing that I, I kind of keep going back to a question that I have is, what made you want to do this on a bigger scale, touring it, you know, going to Sturgis, you know, doing all that stuff back in the day rather than because most towns have their local burlesque troupe that right. do a, that do a Valentine's show, might do a Christmas show, things like that. You know, what what inside you made you want to get it so big and to actually be a touring entity? I think it's just who I am. I've never really been one to do things small. <laughs> right. You know, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it big and wild and crazy. I'm a, I'm very extreme in that regard. It's, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 110%. And I, I'm also kind of competitive in that I want to, I want to be the best at right. the, everything I do. I want to be the best at it. And I, there's a part of me that feels like, why do something unless you want to be the best at it? You know, like it just, go balls of the wall, just give it everything you've got. And so I think I just have this passion for wanting to take things to the next level all the time in everything I do and in life. And when you go to these towns that have an existing local burlesque troupe or, or dance troupe, do you, is there, is there a turf war thing going on? Is there, do you feel, or is it an embrace? Like you come to town and they're like, they're embracing you. I think it, in my experience, it's been very positive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to reach out to, to local groups on this run. In fact, because I want to give back to this industry and help others who are kind of, you know, following along in this path. Cause you know, what cherry bombs is doing in this industry is kind of a new thing. I mean, like we've said, there's other dance groups and other groups of that are similar in nature who have done this before, but nobody's really ever taken it 
this far in this part of the industry before, I don't think. So we're kind of still trailblazing and we're still trying to get industry people and these kind of audiences to know who we are and what we do to get it, to understand what this is. So I want to make sure that, you know, if there are other groups that want to pursue this path, that they can be successful and they can do this. So why not give them a chance to be spotlit a little bit for, you know, from our fans and we can, we can give them some of ours. Um, so I, in my experience, it's been, it's been pretty positive. Um, I think it's never a bad thing to support other, other groups and other people doing this. You want each other to succeed because if they succeed, then you succeed. And most groups understand that. I think anytime I've ever gone out to watch burlesque, or, is, that, is that the right term? Am I using a proper term with what you're doing? I mean, it's similar, but it's maybe not, uh, you know, to, maybe not the proper term. Right. Um, we are not burlesque. Um, yeah. Burlesque is typically the art of, it's like the art of the tease. Yeah. So in burlesque, you see traditionally like um, a, what they call a peel off. So it's a performer will come out with a lot of layers of clothing on and then one by one, take them off. You know, like it's like the glove thing where they go tee, 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 and they yeah, yeah. peel it off. And then it, that's traditionally burlesque. So it's very more like um, Dita Von Teese. She's burlesque. Right. Um, we are just kind of straight dancers. Uh, so right. we do choreography. Um, it's not so much about the, the taking off or the peel off of, of clothing. It's more about the choreography and the movement, um, and what we do. So yeah, not to nerd out on you or anything. (laughs) No, no, no. I I just don't want to be, you know, using the wrong terms because I mean, I've been to, it's been called burlesque, but at the same time, it's the aerial stuff. It's the ring. It's the, you know, doing the, the, the silks and things like that. So yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is, is a lot of times, you know, you're like, Hey, do you want to go see this? And you know, you're like, yeah, I want to go see that because of one thing, but then you get there and I always walk away. The aerial stuff always blows me away and it's not overly sexualized. It's just amazing feats of, of, uh, you know, just, 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 you know, pure, uh, you know, talent, I guess. Yeah, it is. Um, so that aspect, like the, the aerial and the fire, um, is more of the Cirque aspect of our show. And um, the aerialists, you know, and that's kind of been our MO is it's not so much about what you look like. It's about what your body can do. That's right. what I'm really interested in when I'm looking for performers is because I think bodies are incredible and humans have these amazing abilities to do these crazy physical feats. And the aerial acts are just a pure example of that. It's strength, it's beauty, it's, you know, dangerous. And, and I love the ju- the juxtaposition of beauty and danger together. And that's really what our show is all about is like, yes, you know, there's a lot of fire on that stage and it's very close to her hair or she <laughs> is hanging very high 50 feet in the air at that bank of California stadium. And all she has to do is just lose her grip and she's done. You yeah. know, that's the thing that makes everybody go, <gasps> but that performer is doing it. So almost effortlessly, it's beautiful. It's graceful. And it's, it's like a dance in the air. And, and, and that is what we're going after every single time. It's just, it's just really incredible to watch. You're, you're a Las Vegas resident now, correct? Yes. So, you know, now being in that town, I mean, is this something that you would want a residency at some point or is that something, or do you like the road aspect of it and the traveling aspect of it? I mean, I think it takes a certain type of person to love the road, you know, but once you, once you've done it and you find out it's for you, you'll always have that itch. Yeah. Um, there's just something really special and unique and really cool about, about touring. 
um, that I will always love. But as far as a residency goes, it would have to be the right deal. It would have yeah. to make sense. I've, I've looked at casinos out here and some of the theaters in here and I've, you know, my business mind starts, you know, going off and I start crunching numbers and I'm going, some of this doesn't really make sense to me financially, but, um, I think if it were the right deal and it made sense for, for us and for cherry bombs, I would love to have, you know, a resident group in Las Vegas and a touring group simultaneously. See, that's smart. That's, that's the business mind there. Not that it's the (laughs) same thing, but when we were in Vegas a couple of years ago, we went to absinthe and absolutely blew me away that not only that, that of what they were doing, but the, 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 uh, just kind of non PC of everything. And I love, I love that about it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the fun thing about, um, art and, and performing and, and, you know, even comedians too, if you want to branch out of that realm, you know, you can kind of push the limit on things Mm -hmm. and present it in a different way. That's, um, you know, people can kind of take in a different way than if somebody, you know, on the street would just say it. Um, but I think that's the, the beautiful thing about artistic expression. Now the, now the dancers you have are, are they, mostly like dancers that grew up in dance, love dance, perfected dance, but also have a metal side to them. So they come to you and they're just like, I'm so glad there's someone out there doing something like this. Um, Yes. Uh, I would say all of my performers are performers who have been training for many, many years. Um, You know, this wasn't something, and it would be impossible for someone to walk in and never had any training and be like, I want to do this. You know, it's the, definitely not entry level, but, um, all of my performers are all kind of cut from the same cloth in that we're all studio trained for many, many years. Um, I, as far as the rock and metal aspect and the passion for it, I would say it's about half and half. Um, there's some of my performers who are really passionate about this type of music and absolutely love it and are super stoked that they're, they feel like there's a place for them in this type of culture. Um, and then there's the other half that are like, I have no idea who this is or who sings this, but I like it. And it's a lot of fun. And it's kind of cool too, because to me, it kind of helps spread, you know, this type of music to people who maybe wouldn't have listened to it before. And now they kind of, they love it and they fall in love with it and they want to learn more. So I don't think that's ever a bad thing. And even on that note, when you go out now, I mean, obviously you've got the association with Corey and and everything. So I mean, when the, the fans that come out for that side of you, come to the, come to these venues, sure. you're also exposing them to the dance side of it. And yeah. they walk, they walk away going, Oh, well, I never thought I would enjoy somewhat of a ballet or, or a thing like that. Yeah. You're yeah, you're absolutely right. So when we, you know, when we open for Corey, um, you know, obviously the majority of the fans are going to be there for him and, and that type of music. And I remember when we first toured a stone sour, um, you know, a lot of, people came to those shows not knowing who we were or what we were. They thought we were a band. And so we would hit the stage and they'd be like, whoa, what is this? And it happens every show that we do. We, we constantly win over hearts and minds. And that's why I love opening for bands because it's so unexpected. And I, and I like the challenge of having to earn your respect. Um, I think it's a good thing. And, and so we aim for that every time and every show, man, I, I'm really happy to say, and I feel really proud about that. Um, and, and, and not only changing people's, you know, I guess assumptions about us or perceptions about us, but also walking away. Like you said, like, wow, I never thought I would 
dig a dance show. Like I never, <laughs> I never thought I'd look forward to that, but it's, it's unexpected. And I've heard people say it's kind of a nice change of pace from what they were expecting, you know? So obviously this being a, a not fest thing also, the, the one thing I wanted to ask about was, you know, having, having not only Slipknot on the bill, you on the bill, but I mean, you've also got Griff Span on the bill vend- vended, um, having kind of like the whole house, you know, all, <laughs> all, all up on, up on a stadium stage. It's gotta be pretty nuts to kind of, kind of have those talks around the house and then see, you know, not only watch Griff and then watch Corey, but you know, you it's, it's gotta be a, a, a pretty awesome household. I think at this point, man, I can't tell you enough how good it feels to do the thing that you love the most with the people that you love the most. Like that's your family. I mean, that's my kid. That's my husband. And we look at each other and we're just like this little team. And when we have dinner together, we just talk about it and we get stoked about shows and we bounce ideas off each other and we share ideas. And it's just, it's the coolest thing. I mean, I feel very, very, very lucky that I get to have that very unique experience um, with Griffin and Corey, because it's just, it's all your passions with your favorite people. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? Yeah, I was out at Notfest Iowa doing some Twitch stuff for the Twitch channel, and oh. I remember I remember seeing you know when Vinden came on, I was like, all right, good stuff. And then there's the, the there's like a photo or two that came out of Corey watching Griff, and I've got a teenage son, and I couldn't even imagine you know watching my son opening a festival and just being right. such a, like a proud dad moment that was oh, for him. Man, <laughs> oh, I'm getting emotional just talking about it. Um, <laughs> his first show, Corey and I flew out to Iowa for their very first show ever. And oh my God, Corey was like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and it's like super proud dad. Yeah. I mean, Corey was just beaming and it was like, uh, it's, you know, you, you're so, and you're, you're a father. So, yeah. you know, you look at your kid and you're, you see them go through all these trials and tribulations through life and they're finding themselves and they're forming their own opinions on things and they're being really introspective and they're trying to figure this crazy thing called life out on their own and you let them do that but when you see them hone in on a passion like that and just go after a goal and make it happen i mean i know Corey was like this is this is <laughs> awesome like this is it this is what he was meant to do and and Corey never pushed griff to go one way or the other, you know? And so that was a, that was a journey that Griff really found for himself and watching him develop and, and, and make all those mistakes that you make, you know, like no one's saving him here. So, you know, letting him do those things and learn for himself and get that experience is really important. And watching this journey is just a very exciting thing for Corey. And I know it is for myself too. Yeah, and the one thing with Griff, I mean, obviously, fantastic front man, definitely got his dad's pipes. But the one thing <laughs> that's gonna that's kind of against him in all of this too is his dad, you know, because anytime I see a post about you know Vended going out on tour or anything like that, I mean, it's just nepotism, nepotism, nepotism right. type comments. Right. And and I think that um, you know he's got an uphill battle uh, to kind of get out of his dad's shadow. You're right. You know, and, and I, and I experienced that too. And, um, you know, one thing I tell Griff is like, look, dude, like people are, may find out about you because of your dad, you may get a little more exposure because of who your dad is. However, if you suck at this and you were absolutely terrible, people aren't going to stay. Right. And so people may find out about you, 
because of him, but they're going to stay your fan because of you. Right. And you're, it's up to you to keep them there. So in, in a, in a way it's kind of a double-edged sword, man. I mean, like, yes, there are benefits that come with this. Let's, let's be real here. Right. But at the same time, everything you mess up, every mistake you make, everything that you're learning as you go, because you're just starting out, you don't get to do that in tiny little clubs where no one really, you know, is paying attention or you don't have a million media outlets watching you, um, and criticizing you because of that. So the other hand of that coin or the other side of that coin is that he has way more eyes on him during a time where he's still developing and, you know, other artists who come up, you know, in a, in a different way, kind of get to work all those kinks out and perfect that under the radar. And, um, and so I, you know, we can say all day that, you know, he gets it easier or whatever, but I think, I don't think that's true at all. I think it's just as hard, just in a different way. Yeah. That would be like your, your dance videos from when you were like 17 at the high school talent show being being judged, you know, as, as, you know, uh, against the slipknot or, you know, yeah. Or anytime you look back on like my early bands from when I was like 15, 16, you're like, Ew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, glad th- exactly. I'm glad those are under a, under a, under a rug somewhere. Not sure. My debut. And yeah, not all over the internet, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it is, it comes with its own unique challenges that I don't think the average person is really aware of. Um, so I just remind Griff of that and, but, the, but it's cool because it gives you more to push for and, and something to, you know, prove and, um, and that can spark a lot of fire. Uh, as we kind of wind down here, um, you know, obviously Slipknot is on a large scale is a show, you know, very similar to something you could put on the fire and everything else. I mean, do they, do you take anything from them and then on vice versa, do they take anything from you as in they see you doing something like, Oh, we could incorporate that into the show somehow too. Um, I mean, I would say that, you know, Slipknot and Corey in general has been a good influence on, on my, um, kind of way of, of doing this new show. I definitely, Macabre was a little out of left field for what I was typically doing before that. Mm -hmm. This path is much more artistic. Um, it's much more, you know, wardrobe, um, more elaborate wardrobe, um, a storyline in itself. That's a little more artsy fartsy than what I was doing before. Um, so I would say, yeah, they probably influenced me in that way to kind of think outside the box and maybe go a different route than what I was doing before. And I really enjoy it. Um, As far as me influencing them, I don't think so. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, I told Clown, I said, if you ever need help with that fire bat, you know, I'm actually... I haven't told him this, but I'm actually coming up with a surprise for him for his little fire bat. So I'm going to be putting something together for him and I hope he likes it. My my personal favorite moment from Notfest Iowa was we were setting up at like 9 a.m. the Twitch stream and getting everything mm-hmm. together for Notfest Twitch. And I look over and Clown is in the Slipknot Museum and whoever hung up his keg hung it up upside down. And he, <gasps> ma- he made sure that they hung it up right. And he was telling all the people working there, he's like, hey, if the kids want to hit it with a bat, if they want to play a guitar, like make sure they can do whatever they want. Like I just seeing that attention to detail. Mm-hmm. that he cares that much and he had his dog yes. with him and all that stuff you know like it was just so cool to just see that in real life yeah he really is he, he's man clown is so cool he's just so <laughs> great he is and and i know 
he's super all over the place with his brain and, and his mind and his thoughts and stuff like that. But that I think is what makes him so great and so unique. I love sitting with him and just talking to him about anything and everything. Oh, he bet. just has the best stories and the most unique way of thinking about things that I just eat it up, man. So I, I love clown. I, I, he's a good one. He's just, he's one of my favorite people to talk to ever. And uh, as we wind down girl gang season four out uh, March 9th, what should we expect from uh, season four? Season four is about touring during the pandemic being one of the first acts to hit the road. You know, um, all eyes in the industry were on Corey and us. Um, Can we make this happen? Is this a thing that can be successful during this time? Can live entertainment come back? Is this realistic or not? Um, So that's really kind of the premise of what Girl Gang 4 is all about is jumping through those hoops, you know, what all we had to do to make those shows a success and also capturing the emotional roller coaster of coming back to something that we all love and are so passionate about our livelihood and something that concert goers and fans and audiences are really passionate about too. What it's like to come back to something like that after having it ripped away from us for so long. Um, so it's, it's an interesting season. Um, with all of our girl gang seasons, we never, you know, add drama or make anything up. We just <laughs> shoot it as it is. You know, we're not flipping tables and screaming. Ah, you should. Together, you know what I mean? Bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so it's always kind of interesting when the camera starts rolling, what, what's going to happen. And we just kind of let it naturally go. So, um, this is a very real look into what it was like to navigate through COVID uh, during a very uncertain time for our industry. Awesome. And um, after these dates, what, what, what's on the horizon for uh, macabre, macabre. There we yeah. Go. Um, after these dates, I can't say much right now, but I can say that we will be on louder than life and we will be at aftershock festival. And we are nice. so stoked to get on those big stages again. Yeah, Aftershock was great because I saw once again Griff and those guys were on there, Slipknot's on there, another family yeah. affair. <laughs> it's another it's another Taylor family show. The family takeover of the, uh, <laughs> the of Aftershock. Takeover. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Alicia, thanks so much for taking some time with me here at notfest.com. And um good luck out there on the road and good luck with everything coming up, man. I I I, I love everything you're doing. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your time and thank you for having me on. All right, huge thank you to Alicia Taylor for taking some time. Make sure to go and check out Macabre Ray if it comes near you. Check her out, Louder Than Life Aftershocks Festival, and uh, just support her and uh, support the whole family. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, we talked about uh, her hanging out with Corey as Corey watched Griff on stage opening a festival. You have kids, I have kids. It's got to be crazy and huge proud dad moment to see your son out there sure. just like, you know, uh, singing in front of, you know, 30,000 people. Oh, yeah, dude, that has to be cooler than cooler than cool. I, you know, it it really is amazing to think about seeing that, you know, just yeah. <laughs> when you've done it yourself. And I, I I would love to hear Corey's answer on that as well, just to hear what his what his true vibe was, you know, if he really felt like, Oh, I passed the torch or, right. or, or what, but I'm sure we'll get that once we get Corey Taylor on here. Right. There we go. Yeah. Corey, let's do this. Let's do but, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, um, 
you know, she said that he was super proud dad moment. I mean, my kid is, you know, he's, he's writing his raps and, you know, doing all the stuff and he's, he's posted actually a couple of songs on, on Spotify. And so it's kind of crazy to be driving in my car and, and I'll check out his stuff in the car and just kind of listen to, you know, what he's writing about and just kind of an insight into it gives a better insight into his brain and what's going on. Sure. You know, what he's, he's thinking about. Cause he's, he's writing some stuff that's, you know, uh, from the heart, but also mimicking what he's hearing too. So you're, so you're getting a little bit of a uh, emotion, but you're also getting a little bit of, uh, you, you know, going to shoot some fools kind of stuff too, you know, in his right. raps. so, uh, it's good stuff though, man. It's, it's just, it's cool to hear him being creative. So, I mean, I'm sure for Corey, it's just gotta be, you know, through the moon with him. Sure. Well, why don't you plug in your kids, your kids rapping on here? Okay. Paying me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll have his publicist reach out to me and I'll yeah. may or may not be able to set up an interview with him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. He'll, he'll reject doing it with you. That'll be the fun one. Right. He says, yeah, I don't want to do that show. Yeah. No, they, <laughs> screw that guy. Even though he's also a to me, but you know, get him out of here. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of getting out of here, man, uh, before we do, uh, let's talk about a little bit of what we're watching, what we're listening to this week. And uh, what do you got going on over there? Uh, I have got two. Both are in the listening category. I'm going to I'm going to tow the party line here. Oh, I've been enjoying the Corey Taylor um, B-Sides record a lot. Oh, nice. I love the Lunatic Fringe cover. I even though I didn't like that, he took out that that he like woke the um shaken song a little bit (laughs) i i still thought that was a pretty cool cover just overall it's a cool much like we kind of said before we heard it i i like it i like the fact that he does covers and yeah i like the stone sour covers now i like these covers so that would be one and then the other one is an album called damn by the band and i don't know if i'm even saying this right a a legion a legion a l l e g a e o n i think that's a legion your guess Maybe. is as good as mine i i've yeah. read the name a thousand times and yeah and, and no never idea. thought <laughs> never it. thought about how to say it uh, me too and and never thought to listen to it and this band's been around for 15 years or whatever i finally gave it a listen this week for the first time ever i listened to it and i was absolutely blown away and then I listened to everything else that they've done. They have like seven albums or whatever. And I spent half my week listening to this band <laughs> right. that I can't even pronounce their name, but fantastic. It's like death metal, death metal sort of sound. If they somehow mixed in Mastodon, it's, okay. it's a weird combination of like progressive death thing. And it's more on the death thing than it is on the progressive thing. But it's solid, man. I, uh, so again, uh, the new album is called Damn Em, but I'd, I'll recommend anything that they've done because I listened to all of the stuff in the last week and it's all great. So those are my two. There you go. I will, um, on the watching side, uh, we finally finished Inventing Anna. Okay. Uh, it's a, that That is a long series. That's like an hour plus each episode. Oh, boy. And, how many episodes? Uh, how about nine? Oh boy, that is a lot of commitment. I believe it's nine. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it was definitely a commitment. Um, you know, you know, and and looking into the story, pretty crazy that uh, that you know how far she got with trying to get. Uh, you know, she was approved for like a forty million dollar loan. Wow. Um, 
you know, she just had to come through with one piece that she kept lying about. But, um, you know, just just how how this show and the Tinder Swindler, which you talked about a little bit on your classic metal show, mm-hmm. um, how they're kind of just similar to where they're kind of kind of just, you know, pyramid scheming the last person to help, you know, front the next person. And just it's just crazy how 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 much money is just flying around out there. I know it's it's amazing how much is flying around. It's amazing how much these guys just have. Yeah, you know it, it's I I can't even fathom it. Like like in Tinder Swindler when he's talking about yeah, you know we just jumped on a plane and we flew to Morocco and I'm like right. just jumped on a plane and flew to Morocco. Right, sitting coach for that is two grand. Yeah. You know it's like I I can't even imagine the money that that is just thrown around. But well, there's a there's, speaking of that, there's a scene in Inventing Anna where where she's she's pitching this idea for this art museum club thing that she wants to create. And she, she's applying for business loans. Right. Mm -hmm. And through, through a financial advisor and you know, it's the big, this guy works with this guy. So he knows this guy and everybody knows each other. And, and so there's one part where one of the loans, like one of the guys just doesn't want to do the loan, but he also doesn't want to make her mad. So they, they open up an account with $200,000 in it. And just give it to her, <laughs> like, like as as a, as a we're sorry we're not doing the loan, but not right now. Here's sure. so money, so late maybe later on in life, you know, we can work together. Dude, people just throw money just to throw money. I was watching, um, I was watching this docu series on Peacock about um, what's her name, Gislaine Maxwell, right, or whatever her name, Ghislaine or whatever her <laughs> name is, you know, right. um. I'm watching this thing and after Epstein got arrested and put in jail that first time, she tried to put distance between herself. So she formed a company selling quote unquote, the ocean. And she, she was selling, selling the ocean for $25,000 donations. Hold on. You, you actually, I, I think you said Epstein and, uh, and it cut us out. Oh, there cut out? <laughs> like, oh, nice. Yeah. No, she she was selling after Epstein went to jail. She decided to start her quote unquote philanthropy po- project, and she her project was selling the ocean. She was literally saying that you come in and you invest twenty five fifty thousand dollars, whatever, and you just basically are saying how much you love the ocean, right? And and you get a certificate or something saying that you you are a part owner of this ocean. Well, she doesn't own the damn ocean. So who is she to sell it? But she was making millions of dollars. People just throwing it at her. And it's like, man, why can't I come up with something like that? I'd like to sell the air that we're breathing to somebody. That would be fantastic. I mean, come on. Well, it's like those, like, a, was it? Was it Adam Curry that that like he was just investing in different stuff and he just happened to invest like 50 grand into a product and didn't even re- remember doing it. And then that product turned into something crazy. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, like that, like right around the time he invented the podcast. Right. <laughs> he also uh, put some money into man, what, I wish I could hopefully I could find it really quick. Um, enterprises. Yeah. I don't know if I can find it right off, but yeah, he put like, 
50 grand into something. And then they basically came back to him one day and were like, here's your millions of dollars. <laughs> and he was like, I don't remember investing in this, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> um, Must be nice to, to luck into that stuff. Unfortunately, that never happens. Uh, he and business partner participated in early ventures, founded the rotor jet company to offer helicopter services. Yeah. I'm not seeing that exact story, but yeah, there it's just, I, I, you know, there's, there's all those groups out there that, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the people that just put money into whatever, and then hopefully something hits, you know, it's just like some crazy form of gambling, but you know, mm-hmm. if you and if you and I got fifty grand, you know, like what could we build with that? You know, the the podcast wise or whatever we yeah. wanted to put up. But then, you know, where do we find those people? I know. <laughs> I I wish I could find. But you know what though, dude, you can get lucky. Like I'm, I'll share one that I'm getting lucky on right now, and knock wood, it stays that way. But I put a thousand bucks into Bitcoin. Oh right, a, yeah. a year and a half ago, like or fourteen months ago, fifteen months ago. And the value on it right now is valued out at 20 grand Jesus. for a thousand bucks that I put in. It's it, it just, I got the little note on my phone just today that said your current value is $20,063. I was like, yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, can you cash that out right now with, with like, maybe just, I would penalties? take a penalty. I would take a monster penalty. But I could, t- I mean, technically I could go in there and take out probably like 12 grand if I wanted to, but the commitment or, was for 20 months. So, or could you, if something is 20,000 Bitcoin, you could purchase it? Maybe I could. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like that. But I could, but I'm not going to, I'm right. Look, I'm, I'm riding it out and you know, I, my commitment was till August was, they guaranteed that it would triple in value if I waited till August. So I'm going to ride till August. I'm going to see where I'm at and I'll probably pull out all but a thousand dollars and start over. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, yeah, I'll keep you around till August. And then uh, <laughs> all of a sudden new studio, right? <laughs> uh, a band that I've been uh, listening to this week is uh, a band that'll be coming up on the, on the show. It's a band that actually is, I think been uh, recommended to me over the years. And it's just like one of those things where, you know, you and I probably get recommended a thousand bands a month. <laughs> yeah. Check out my friend's band, check out this band, check out that band. And this is one, one band that I'm kind of bummed that I didn't check out sooner, but it's a band called era. If I'm saying it right. E R R a band out of Birmingham, Alabama formed in 2009. Um, I would describe them as like, which is your favorite. It's going to be like a deaf tones, but like a heavier. It's it's. I'm not going to say hate breed, but it's almost like a hardcore band and the deaf tones mashed up. And it's, it's like, cause it's got some crazy screaming parts, but okay. it's also kind of got the, 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 you know, the singing parts too, with kind of the, you know, the eight, nine, 10, 12 string guitars with the gentiness of it and stuff. So, I mean, I, I am, totally digging what i'm hearing so far and i uh, can't wait to talk to them wow they got a shit ton of records holy cow <laughs> right yeah it's just one of those things man like you know you you got into the one band i get into this band and yeah it's got they have five albums out um yeah i actually interviewed the band um you know what is it a uh, necro goblicon um and they're another band too that once you kind of dive into them and they have they have so much of a backstory and so many albums out 
And I was like, here we go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> dude, there's, there's so many of those bands more and more. I, I hate to say it, but more and more, I'm just thinking that because music is so disposable these days, yeah. we're just missing these bands for five, five years, 10 years at a time. Yeah. You know, cause I, I mean like you, me and you both just pulled, pulled bands that we never listened to that have been around at least 10 years and we right. never listened to them. That's like, wow, how did we miss these bands? And they're great. And I think we've talked a little bit about this on, on the show a little bit, the, the Pam and Tommy thing, but we're, I, I don't know if you're caught up with it or not. Oh yeah, um, I am. Um, and, and I don't really want to get into the story too much, but it's just crazy. The fact that, you know, she's, she's discovered in like what, 89. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years later, she's like the biggest sex symbol in the world. Right. You know, and like how quickly that type of stuff can happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, even today, man, like if, if a girl guy or girl just like hits the right thing, man, they could just be famous in like no time. Yeah. The only difference between then and now is that they won't stay famous now. Right. Fame goes away super, super fast. I think the Kardashians are probably the last models that we're ever going to see that are going to be like mega famous. I just, I I just don't think there are anymore. Are there? Well, if there was like a Pam Anderson right now, they would, they would prop her up and then immediately tear her down. Yeah. Which they, I mean, they tried to with the the sex tape and I, I, I want to say that I don't know how accurate the, interrogation was yeah it's pretty the, brutal uh, though <laughs> but if that if that's if that's how it was i'm like jesus christ man that's yeah. brutal it was brutal i i will say that watching that scene was very uncomfortable <laughs> it was very uncomfortable yeah and and, and that's coming from you know you that <laughs> that'll say some heinous shit on yeah, your other show I will, and but- and just but just sitting there just just watching that guy just, just kind of ask her so many questions. And even when she goes to the bathroom and the, uh, what is it? The stenographer goes to yeah. her and it's just like, I've seen some depositions, but that one was brutal. Yeah, it was, that was vicious. And, <laughs> right. and maybe, and, and, and I would bet knowing how lawyers work, that's probably kind of accurate too. They were trying to break her to get her to, to, to settle or to, I don't know what, what the purpose was that. And I still don't understand that. What was the purpose of deposing her? That was the um, the penthouse lawsuit, right? I think, but so they were trying to. There, I think what they what they were basically trying to say in that in that deposition was, you were doing those sex acts out in public anyway, right? So you could have gotten seen by a trucker driving by or another boat on the lake, and you know all that stuff. So you were kind of doing that in public to begin with, so and that was definitely. So you can't sue sue Bob Guccione for running the pictures. Yeah, and then she was. They, they're also trying to say that that they made the tape for for Penthouse and for and all that stuff. Too, they were trying to get that okay. out of there. So they, yeah, they were. I'm assuming that's what the whole deposition was about. But and that is a pretty crazy fact of the whole thing. It's like, well, if you didn't want anybody to see you, why were you doing this stuff in public? Yeah, and you know. Meanwhile, now today you could go to Pornhub and you can find <laughs> four zillion videos of random people, you know, in your neighborhood just banging. Right. So it's, it's, well, that, it's, yeah, that was one thing. It's like, why would they were like, why would you film it? And I'm thinking, you know, 2000, you know, 22, you know, what's not filmed these yeah. days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so next week on the show, check it, uh, 
Pornhub.com slash talk to me. But, uh, yeah, our new sponsor, <laughs> Pornhub. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, I don't like that segue, but uh, <laughs> huge thank you to Alicia Taylor of Cherry Bombs for coming on once again. And uh, make sure to check out Macabre Ray when it comes near you and uh, check out festival performances. And Girl Gang Season 4 uh, starts March 9th. So that's on YouTube. So that's, you know, cool. kind of a little behind the scenes stuff going on there too. So yeah. So support Alicia. And uh, once again, for the talk to me podcast, I'm Joshua Toomey. I am Chris Agan. <laughs> and we will talk to you soon. See ya.